all of those things, it really felt like the having the kind of anxiety meltdown kind of 12, 18 months ago was actually the, the, the doorway to a new level of CEO-ness that I'd kind of avoided taking. So in a weird way with the whole silver lining was, I am much more the... I have. I feel like I have much more agency and confidence in myself as a business person than I did before. I just kind of wish we could learn those lessons without having to go through the hard bit. We were driving along Interstate 90, somewhere between Chicago and Minneapolis on the hottest day of the summer. And Sean asked me, can you remember a time when you didn't feel anxious? I paused. I thought. I looked back over the key periods of my life. Well, no, I can't remember a time I didn't feel anxious, I finally responded. Honestly, I was surprised. You see, I've spent my whole adolescent and adult life being hyper aware of my history of depression. Even when I'm feeling good, I'm on the lookout for the warning signs. Now, I realize that might sound a bit anxious all on its own, but looking for the warning signs has allowed me to get help before things got really bad a number of times. I've spent the last seven years or so fairly free of depressive episodes and have generally considered my mental health to be pretty strong. So this realization that anxiety, that tight feeling in my chest, the lump at the pit of my stomach, the prickly skin, the whirling mind, the foreboding sense that at any moment things could fall apart, that realization that anxiety has always been with me and get this, that it isn't normal, it was a shock. As I started to examine the impact anxiety has had on me, I couldn't help but see its presence all over my business. You're listening to What Works, the show that transcends the hype to bring you candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today. I'm your host, Tara McMullen. Now, here's the thing. You might be surprised to learn just how big an impact anxiety has had on me and my business over the years. You probably don't think of me as someone who struggles to make decisions or take action. You don't think of me as someone nervous about stepping out of the shadows or making big moves. But there is a whole category of anxiety that often presents in high performers, the achievers, the doers, the make stuff happen people. It's called high-functioning anxiety. And simply put, high-functioning anxiety is the constant sense that everything will fall apart around you if you're not performing at your highest capacity all the time. It's a mix of overdoing, overthinking, and overachieving. And listener, I would not be surprised if that sounds familiar to you, too. Now, I learned about high-functioning anxiety from one of Yellow House Media's podcasting clients, Nancy Jane Smith, and her show, The Happier Approach. And ever since I heard about the concept, I can recognize my anxiety everywhere. I feel it when the hotel shuttle bus is making me late for my flight. I feel it when I receive an invitation to a party I'm expected to attend but don't have the right outfit for. I feel it every time I hit send on an email or realize I've made a typo in a sales page. I feel it when I'm obsessing on a client situation or setting big goals for the business. Of course, now that I can recognize it, I can do something about it. But enough about me and my anxiety. Let's talk about our guest and her anxiety. Today, my guest is Joe Casey. 
Joe helps women build sustainable, meaningful businesses. She's been coaching for over 16 years and focuses on empathy, ethics, and empowerment to change the culture and conversation around business. Like me, Joe also lives with anxiety and depression. And like me, once Joe recognized how anxiety was impacting her business, she realized she could do something about it. This conversation is all about what she's done to manage her anxiety as an entrepreneur. Everything from doubling her rates to creating stronger boundaries to prioritizing time with her family and for her other passions to simplifying her business model. Joe and I also talk about the situation that brought her to terms with how much her anxiety was controlling her business and how she takes care of herself knowing her anxiety is never fully going away. Now, let's find out what works for Joe Casey. Joe Casey, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk about this subject. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of this subject, um, you know, this month we're we're talking about resilience and kind of building resilience as a, as a small business owner, understanding how to bounce back or how to coach ourselves through hard times. Um, and one aspect of that, I think, is the mental health component of, mm. of being a small business owner. Um, you know, I've talked about my own mental health challenges in the past on my own podcast and on others. Um, you know, we've had certainly many guests over the years talk about mental health challenges. And I think that it is a very real um, issue for so many entrepreneurs. And so today, I want to talk with you about your uh, how you've built resilience um, through your own mental health challenges, and specifically with anxiety. Um, it's a, Anxiety is a, is a subject that I am really interested in right now personally, um, but we, we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you. Um, and so I'm really, I'm really, really curious how anxiety has impacted your business over the years and, and the kinds of routines and habits that you've built to work through that. So first off, let's just, let's just, um, kind of dive right into it. Can you tell us about a time when anxiety has made thinking about or planning for your business more difficult? Yeah. I mean, there's been there's been times when my I I always have this low level level of, of anxiety. I mean, that's kind of part of my makeup. But there are times when like any illness, it's uh it's more acute. Or it's more in the background, and there have certainly been times when it's been much more acute. And the 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 worst time, I think, in and I would say the past kind of seven or eight years was actually about twelve months ago, when I was coming off the back of my daughter being pretty sick. She was diagnosed with a, um, a slightly unusual type of asthma, but it had been misdiagnosed. And so we ended up with lots of emergency trips to hospital, lots of admissions. It was very out of the blue. It was very shocking. It was very anxiety inducing in itself. Mm-hmm. And I, once she kind of got better and, and was stabilized, and she's really, really well now, because I'd been operating on so little sleep, because I'd had to, you know, I was emailing clients from hospital rooms and trying to keep up with the day-to-day of my, of, of my business. Then it was almost like the anxiety did a wipeout on my brain. It was mm. just, I had a few days of just just my whole system feeling like it was on fire. I don't know if anyone's ever experienced that 
that kind of anxiety where it's just like everything feels terrifying. Leaving the house feels terrifying. Um, and so I had to very consciously take a step back from, from business. I had to take a few months off. I had some amazing clients who were really, really lovely and supportive and were just like, we, we don't care if you're up for the, the session. Great. If you're not, no problem. It's wow. just amazing. And what I found, I am pretty lucky in that I found work a really good displacement activity. So one of the lovely things about my job being a coach is that I can focus fully on the other person. And that's a great way of taking my mind off me and, and, and my worries. But it took a good few months to kind of get back to a level where I was mentally healthy and, and functioning. And though in hindsight, there were lots of things that had been danger flags, lots of things I wasn't doing. And that prompted me to make quite a few quite significant changes in both my lifestyle and the way that my business was set up mm. to try and prevent that 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 happening again and for if and when it does happen again the the, the impact on my mental health and on my business won't be as severe yeah okay so can you walk us through that what were some of the changes that you made to prevent that kind of collapse from happening again mm. So the first thing that I did was I'd done what a lot of people, a lot of service-based business owners do when they're in the first few years of their business. You start off the first couple of years and you think, if I can only get enough clients, it will be great. And then you get enough clients and then you're in the state of, well, I'm not going to turn down any clients because I can remember what it was like when I didn't have any. So I was working a 50, 60 hour week and then doing you know, oh, I'm just thinking about my business and, and my life would become very, very narrow. I think one of the working for yourself is great and it can come with all of these kind of um, dangers. I think a lot of us feel that we we want to run our own business and, and, you know, helm our own ship because we don't want to be stuck in an office. Offices aren't good for some of us. I really hated working in an office. It was not good for my mental health in in many, many ways. So working for myself was great. But what I did is I carried a lot of the same structures and expectations of myself into my own business. And so that meant that I didn't have clear boundaries around what working hours. I didn't have a strong social network that I was leaning on. You know, a lot of these things are actually protective for us. Mm-hmm. So having strong social networks, reaching out to people, having conversations about stuff other than business, really, really important. Getting enough sleep, having things outside of my business. I didn't have any of that. I can remember really distinctly going on a, a training course and this was about six months before Maya, my daughter, was uh, got sick and all of that happened. And one of the, the breakout icebreaker activities was pair up with somebody you've not met before and talk about what you do for fun. Oh, God. I couldn't answer the question. No. It causes <laughs> me anxiety just to think about it. <laughs> and I was like... Um, my, my business is fun. And I remember having this real, um, like meta experience of almost like watching myself going, oh, this isn't good. (laughs) This isn't good. You should be able to answer this. Um, so I wasn't doing any of that. So that, so the, the very first thing that I did was to decide what I wanted my, my working hours to be and what my boundaries around that were going to be. 
And so that meant having to look at the full structure of my business. So if I was working a 50, 60 hour week, well, how could I work less than that? And I worked with uh, my coach, Tanya Geisler, who I know, you know, really well. Absolutely. She said, you're going to have to charge more. And she was right. I wasn't charging enough. Mm. So charging more, I actually almost doubled my prices. Wow. Thinking no one is going to hire me. And yeah, it, it was absolutely fine. I, I managed to fill the the program that I, I run each year. It's absolutely fine. And it meant that just by doing, taking that one action, if we take none of the other things, just by looking at my pricing structure, it meant that filling that program once a year instead of the twice a year at half the price I was having to do meant that I only had to launch one thing a year. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. So I could just focus on on the work. It meant that I I could make some decisions around, well, how many evenings am I going to work? You know, technology is fantastic because I got to work with people all over the world. But quite often, if around about two thirds of my clients are in North America. So that means that their afternoons are my evenings. Right. And so that means it's really easy to get into the habit where you're working four or five evenings a week. No, all of that stopped. I work two evenings a week. I'm really happy working two evenings a week, but it's just two evenings a week. And on the other evenings, I do things like spend time with my family, cook. I joined a choir just for the fun of it. I started doing creative activities just for the fun of it. Those things that, you know, what do you do for fun? I had to really consciously seek them out and and almost teach myself again. Because at first it was like, I don't know what I do for fun. It seemed like so long since I'd, I'd had some of that. And these things seem really simple and really insignificant, but they're not. They're huge. It's so easy to get into this position where you're working, working, working all of the time. And then you're worrying, worrying, worrying about when will the next client come in or when will the, um, you know, dealing with a, a contract or oh, it's taxation time or, you know, there's always something and you have to have times when your brain is switching off and because so many of us work from home and we're the only ones driving it there's no external person giving us those boundaries there's no like oh, come on it's six o'clock everyone is leaving the office you know you're, you're still there you can come back at 11 if you want to because it's just in your spare room um so it's so the the boundaries and really consciously carving out time to discover what i enjoy doing outside of work Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned time boundaries. You mentioned um, price boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are some of the other boundaries that you discovered you needed to put in place? And how did you discover that you needed to have a boundary there? (sighs) So there, there was definitely been something around the amount of business stuff I consume, business Mm. information I consume. Because it's super easy to, you know, we'll talk about FOMO and it's super easy to get caught up in the, oh, I'm not doing that thing. Other people are doing that thing. And you end up, I think, especially if you've got quite an inquisitive, busy brain, which a lot of people with anxiety do have, Mm -hmm. is going down all of these rabbit holes, consuming all of this information without actually stopping and thinking, 
is this going to get me closer to where I want to go? And if where I want to go is I want to have a really solid, sustainable business, then actually me learning how to do um, Instagram live streams this week or how to do retargeting ads on Facebook, that's not going to be the best use of my time. If I need that for my business, then I need to look at that from a business CEO perspective, not just from a, I need to know that, I need Mm -hmm. to know that. So there's been definite boundaries about the amount of information I consume. There's also been some boundaries about the amount of news information I consume. Mm-hmm. I am um, I am very engaged politically. I think it's we all have a responsibility to be. And then there's the, oh, my God, he's done what? Yes. He's accused. And I say that as a British person because, you know, you, you folks do, in the US do not have the monopoly on no. people. You wake up in the morning now and kind of go, he said what? Well, and now you have your own crazy person oh, with weird God. hair. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I know you've had him for a while, but you have him in a new capacity. It's so exciting, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, so exciting. Yes. Um, (laughs) So my brain is has a, a real tendency to go to the darkest, most extreme place really, really quickly. And so I have to, I do have to be careful about taking in the information that I need to be able to take action and focusing on where I can take action. And then cutting myself off because it's almost I don't know it's almost like I don't know news cocaine or something Mm -hmm. it's not doing you any good anymore just hearing about more of the terrible stuff that's not and that's a really hard balance to strike because I'm also a big believer that we have a responsibility not to disengage but we have to do it in a way that means that we are effective in what we're doing And there's definitely been points when my consumption of 24-hour news and news podcasts and, uh, you know, online news stories and and Twitter and all of that has not been productive at all. So there's definitely been some stuff around that. And I also had to look at, well, what kind of work do I want to be doing Mm. and what kind of clients do I want to be working with? Um, So, again, having the confidence to kind of say... I'm going to not do any more of that kind of work because it doesn't energize me. Financially, it's not worth the the, the benefit to me mm-hmm. and it takes up way too much of my time that if I put my CEO hat on, I can look at from a, you know, a, a, a broader perspective and think, okay, where would my time be better placed? And so the 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 changing over to focusing on launching my main program once a year and having extended to nine months at a a higher price point meant that I didn't have to take every client who who came along I could be really mindful about the clients that I wanted to work with because they're the clients who are going to get the most out of the program who are going to be the best fit it's going to be better for them because I think we've all been in that position where we've taken on clients thinking I hope I can give them what they want, but I don't think I'm the right person for them. And then it blows up in your face because it turns out you weren't and now they're disappointed. And it's, you know, so finding those those right fit clients as well. Um, so the, the having all of those things, it really felt like the, the having the kind of anxiety meltdown kind of 12, 18 months ago was actually the, the the doorway to a new level of CEO-ness 
that I'd kind of avoided taking. So in a weird way with the whole silver lining was I am much more the, I have, I feel like I have much more agency and confidence in myself as a business person than I did before. I just kind of wish we could learn those lessons without having to go through the hard bit. Dear God, I agree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I can think of a couple of times where, uh, whether it was depression or anxiety or, you know, some other juicy combination of mental health challenges, mm. I've, you know, I've reached that kind of breaking point. And yes, it has been, in hindsight, a really amazing thing that's allowed me to learn all sorts of new things about myself and my business and what I want and what my goals mm. are. But man, did it have to get so bad first? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> You'll hear more from Joe Casey in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about a special group of business owners we're gathering right now. Now, as a What Works listener, I know some things about you. I know you value my nosy questions about how small business owners actually manage their people, work through mental blocks, decide on prices, or market their services. I know you trust yourself to make great decisions about how you run your business, as long as you have solid information to go on. I know you value input from people from different industries, different business models, and different backgrounds as you lead your business and work toward your goals. And I also know that you don't go in for the hype about the latest business fad. You're committed to building a solid foundation and sticking with what works for you. Now, all of that is great, truly, but it doesn't mean you don't run into challenges from time to time. It doesn't mean you don't want support from people working on similar projects and answering similar questions. And the more your business has grown, the fewer people there are to talk to. And that's where venture comes in. The Venture Mastermind is a 12-month peer support group for growth and scale stage business owners. We gather to address your specific challenges, things like hiring, scaling your outreach, reworking procedures, developing a new revenue stream, or managing your team. And for every challenge we address, we inevitably take a look at the mindset, assumptions, and biases we bring to the table. So we're getting to the root of the problem and not just putting a band-aid on it. Venture includes two monthly mastermind sessions through all of 2020, one retreat to Palm Springs and Joshua Tree National Park, one retreat to Gatlinburg, Tennessee and Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and two analysis calls one-on-one -on -one with me to integrate what you're working on and identify what you want to work on next. To learn more about Venture and whether it's the perfect fit for you as you grow your business in 2020, go to explorewhatworks.com slash venture. That's explorewhatworks.com slash venture. Um, okay, I have a selfish question for you. Really, all of these questions are very selfish. But um, a very selfish question is that you mentioned that you have the kind of brain that goes to the to the darkest places very quickly. And mm -hmm. um, you were you mentioned that in the context of sort of like world events and the news. Mm -hmm. And um, I can identify with that. I also can identify with my brain going to the darkest places very quickly. Anytime I receive criticism, anytime, it doesn't even have to really be criticism. It can just mm -hmm. be someone making a suggestion or like yeah. asking a question. And I immediately go to, oh my God, this is worthless. Oh my God, they hate me. Oh my God, I've let mm -hmm. them down. Um, and letting people down is like one of my personal biggest sources of anxiety. Um, and one of the things that I really fixate and obsess on. So anyhow, 
again, not to make it about me, but I'm curious. <laughs> no, I, fi- I actually find it really interesting and kind of nourishing talking to other people who also ex- experience this this type of, of thought process because you, you, my husband, bless him, is an engineer and mm. he has one of those very calm, logical engineer's brains and he's never experienced anxiety. So sometimes I'm trying to explain it to him and he's like, but can't you just tell yourself that makes no sense? Yes, I could, but that wouldn't do anything. So actually talking to other people who get it, I, I also think is really healing in a way because you realize you're not quite as mad as you thought you were, even though you are technically mad. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I had, I have had similar conversations with my husband as well. And it was, I had sort of like an aha moment around anxiety this summer while we were driving through like North Dakota or something. When Mm -hmm. I realized that my brain does this thing that his brain doesn't do. Yeah. Right. And like, Mm -hmm. I, I have always assumed that these kind of little obsessions or fixations or things that cause me anxiety, that that's normal, that everyone experiences that because I haven't talked to other people about Mm -hmm. it very often. Um, And so kind of realizing, oh, wait, I don't have, this doesn't have to be the way that it is has been a huge aha moment for me. But okay, so getting back to to my selfish question, though, (laughs) um, how does your brain do something similar? Does it also go to that Mm -hmm. dark place from a business context as well? And like, what does that look like and feel like for you? Oh, yes, 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 yes. So I, I have money is a particular kind of flashpoint for for my brain so even though I'm, I'm i'm right now as we're talking when this goes out it will all have been done just as, as we're talking i'm opening the doors to my annual nine month mastermind program even though half of the slots are already filled <laughs> There is part of my brain where she'll go, no one's going to buy this. Right. No one's going to buy this. And next year, when your tax bill comes through, you're not going to be able to pay it. And that will mean the house will get repossessed. John will leave you. You will end up sitting on a piece of cardboard on the street with a dog on a string because you won't even be able to afford a lead. And, the, and, and I say that kind of partly tongue in cheek, but partly because that is the story my, my brain can go to really, really quickly. And so criticism is the same. If somebody's not happy with something, rather than kind of do the, what I would tell my clients is, okay, is that criticism valid? How can we learn from that? How can we do better next time? And I can get myself to that point eventually with some help. But initially I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. I ha- I have let them down. That, that's one that, because that, integrity is yes. so important to me. I have let them down. I've oversold this. This is what they said. This is terrible. This is a disaster. I will get drummed off the internet. I may as well just you know, go away now. Yeah. Um, it can, it, it's a very strangely intense feeling, even though I've been doing this long enough to know there's like a part of my brain knows it's also not true. But I think what anxiety does, it kind of, I don't know, it, it's like if you're driving in a car with your emotions, it's like anxiety suddenly takes the wheel and tries to career the car off the road if you're not careful. 
So yeah, you're not alone in that. <laughs> okay, excellent. Good <laughs> to know, sort of. Um, what do you do then to walk yourself back from that? Like take this, take the the scenario of this fall program enrollment that mm-hmm. you're doing right now. You can identify, you know, you you feel confident because half of the slots are filled and you know that the other half of those people are gonna show up. You know it. And at the same time, there's that part of your brain that is running mm-hmm. through these worst case scenarios scenarios constantly. What kind of self-talk, what kind of habits are you engaging in to focus more on the side of your brain that Mm -hmm. actually knows what's up? Well, for me, and again, this is because all of this is is personal. Everyone's anxiety shows up in a slightly different way. But for me, I need to do something in my body before I can start to engage with that part of my brain. Mm. So... Um, for me, I make sure that I, I walk every day. It's one of the reasons that we, we got a, a dog because um, she will literally eat my shoes if I don't take her out every day. <laughs> so I need to get outside. I need to move my body. Um, and especially if my brain is worrying like that, I know that I need to move. There is something about the the, the kinesthetic action of moving and doing something physical. You know, we know what happens with endorphins and and all of that i i there's something about for me getting out in nature as well i Mm. always feel better i do um even if it's just 10 minutes of yoga of a morning i have one of these reminder things that comes up on my phone and it says do 10 minutes of yoga you will feel so much better no just do it (laughs) because i know how my brain will go that is genuinely the reminder. Um, so I do those things. And then, and this was something else that I I started actively doing much more on the back of, of, of uh, kind of the debacle, which was last year, which I reach out to other people. Mm. Because I think one of the things that certainly anxiety has told me for a long, long time is you're a freak and you cannot tell anybody about the state of the inside of your head. Because if they knew you will get drummed off the internet or, you know, no. Um, And so finding a group of people who I've, I allow to help me, you know, I, I, I talk a lot about the importance of community and collectivism, even though we're, we're, most of us, a lot of us are solo business owners. Being alone is the killer of, 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 of dreams it is uh, is going to destroy you so we can be strong and independent and I'm you know super into working with the the individuals and the slight misfits of the world and the nerds and the freaks and the geeks and you know they are my people I am one of those people and I need to have other people that I can even if I can just text them or send them a voxer message or you know put in the, the mighty network group I'm having a really bad day today and my brain is whirring and I just have this terrible sense of dread and having other people just kind of reflect that back going on my friends here the day said oh that feeling of dread is so dreadful what can you do for yourself right now and so it's not about having people who can solve it but just people who will say I see you mm-hmm. I hear you I still love you you've been here before you'll be here again sometimes though those things are just so simple and it helps me get out of my head. I love that. Um, I want to circle back to something that you mentioned very early on, um, which is that 
there are you, you while there is always sort of a state of low level anxiety, you have these uh, times when anxiety becomes more acute. And mm-hmm. so we've talked about one of those times when things became more acute. And I think we're talking a little bit now about the low level anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I'm curious how that low level anxiety shows up for you on a day to day basis, how you recognize it. And how you know, how you've discovered it's impacted your actions either in the past or currently? Again, for me, it's a physical thing first. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a there's a feeling of tightness in, in my chest and across the backs of my, my shoulders. And so I know that if that's there, I need to kind of do something to, it's almost like shaking it off. I need to do something to kind of move that through and, and, and out of, of my body. I will say that, and that this may be my own way of just deluding myself and reclaiming what anxiety does for me. But one of the things, the one of the upsides about having anxiety is it can make you really focused, really hyper-focused. So that means that if I have a project that I want to get done, or if I have a bee in my bonnet about something, I can be really quite prolific in creating things because getting into action, whether it be writing it out, whether it be... I'm going to do a hundred talks with people about how they approach their, their business, which is a project that I'm, I'm doing this year. Uh, getting into action, I find, is a very good foil for that day-to-day low-level anxiety. Because when I'm in the zone, when I'm able to do my thing, you know, do the things that that remind me of of my skills or how competent I am in certain areas. When I'm talking with people, when I'm coaching people, when I'm writing about stuff, when I'm on my soapbox about something, about an idea and really pulling apart an idea and looking at possibilities. I actually think that that the anxiety then can become like a bit of a a spark that fuels that. Mm. Whereas if I just sit with the anxiety and let it kind of rumble on and leave it to its own devices... That's when I think it can become quite destructive. Does that make sense? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) My husband would say, wow, that describes Tara's life completely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I'm... uh, was there any kind of personal work that you did to better understand how you could use your anxiety as a tool or has it just been sort of like a gradual understanding of the positive role that it can play in your life? Oh, Tara, Tara, Tara. I've done so much personal work. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us. Oh, well, basically the the reason I got into this this line of work, I when you first met me, I was a resiliency coach. Yeah. <laughs> And so, and I got into that work because I was fascinated by this. Well, how come some people can seem to be way more able to cope with things, to bounce back from things, don't seem to have this debilitating, crippling kind of bouts of anxiety and depression like I do? And right. so that initially got me into coaching, understanding positive psychology. I've done some training in uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm a hypnotherapist. I found um, my very first NLP course immensely um, helpful Mm. because there are some what I call kind of quick intervention or short intervention state change techniques, which can be very helpful. 
I also believe that, you know, I'm a, I'm a big one for for therapy and diving deep into things. But there are sometimes it's like, I cannot talk about that thing that happened to me when I'm a child one more time. And I don't even think it's playing out right now. My brain is just on one. And so being able to do something like understanding the importance of movement, understanding the importance of using your breath, understanding the you know the 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 biology of of anxiety and 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 stress has been really really useful I I think I'm a bit like you I'm somebody that I my my brain wants to be able to understand everything Mm -hmm. and so it was really important to me that I understood what anxiety was and how it works from like a neurobiological perspective and and all of that stuff so yes I've done I've I've done and explored a lot of different modalities and what I found is that there are different things that work for different people I'm I'm trained as a mindfulness teacher but for me mindfulness which my interpretation of it is but getting really focused on the here and now which is the antithesis of anxiety because anxiety Mm. is like yeah but what about that but what about that right (laughs) being really focused on the here and now for me I find that still really challenging when I'm I'm sat still if I haven't kind of burnt off some of the adrenaline the cortisol so that's why for me a lot of my kind of mindfulness stuff comes through movement comes through walking comes through yoga comes through um you know doing those activities that are, are going to almost like move it physically through through my body um so yeah I've I've done a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but I, this um, part of me, sorry, oh, go I was ahead. going to say that, so me of five, ten years ago would say, but I've done all this work. Why is it still here? Whereas me of now is like, yeah, you've done all this work, which means that you have tools to cope with it. And it's just, you know, it just is. Yeah. Maybe just, you know, save yourself the time and the anxiety, just fighting the anxiety and just accept it. And then you get a chance to do something about it. Yeah. I love that. Um, okay. So as we start to wrap up, not quite there yet, um, but you, you did talk about some of the sort of structural changes that you made to your business as a result of better understanding what you need to prevent um, one of those kind of acute flare-ups of anxiety, one of those kind of all-encompassing um, situations where, you know, everything starts to fall apart. Um, I would love for you to give us sort of the overview of how your business works today. I guess from from almost like a business model perspective, what are you offering? Why are you offering it? Um and how does that contribute to you being able to really stay the course and um, have that sort of resilient streak built into the very core of the business itself? Sure. Um, the My main focus of work is one-on-one coaching and teaching through a program that I run called the Supernova Collective, which is a nine-month hybrid program. It's workshops, group coaching, and one-on-one coaching. And I'm now at a stage where I open the doors because I don't like the word launch because I find that word very anxiety-inducing. Exactly. (laughs) Can we just like, right now, no more launching. It doesn't make anybody feel good. Just don't use the word. No, to me, it's just like it's being on a roller coaster or being shot out of a rocket. There is nothing calm about this, whereas opening the doors to my latest program. Yeah, that's uh, so much better. 
So I open the doors to that once a year and that runs for nine months. And we take anything between um, 12 and 16 people through that. And so I have one person who is a, a TA, who mm-hmm. a, a teaching assistant, training assistant, who helps me with that. I also have a virtual assistant who helps me with the admin side of things because that's something that stresses me out, um, the, ad, the admin side mm-hmm. of things. And so I know that that program by itself, if I, if, if I wasn't able to sell anything else, that provides enough income for me to have a really nice living and do work that really nourishes me. Mm. And then on anything else that I have capacity to do or the desire to do, that's kind of in the play space. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it so it, it allows me to do things like, um, so for example, I'm running my first international workshop in a few weeks. Ooh. In, uh, in Toronto because I happen to be in Toronto and I'm running a workshop I'm going to be writing a book this year and I've got plans for one for next year as well but it takes the pressure off those things to be immediately income generating mm-hmm. because I know that I I, I have enough and that for, as for somebody with my kind of makeup of anxiety knowing that I have that kind of baseline so my survival needs are covered that has been game changing in terms of the, that kind of pervading feeling of anxiety for me. So it means that I get to, I still take on um, one-on-one clients, but I don't have to be actively promoting it all the time. Mm-hmm. It means that my marketing throughout the year is not pressured marketing. It's not that kind of, I only have to buy my thing and it's closing by this time. It means it's much more conversational marketing. I did this really lovely project early in the year called the Messy Meaningful um, Business Project, which is all about gathering stories of, I suppose, the the, the misfits and the, the, the folks who are doing business differently to look at, well, who are our fellow travelers and what are our different options that we have rather than there just being this one model of doing it and how can we make it more nourishing and sustainable for all of us and having lots of conversations I do um all of my networking pretty much all of my networking via one-on-one conversations I have Mm -hmm. coffee chats or, or, or virtual cups of tea with people and again takes all the pressure off me to have to oh this is an intake call we can I can just we can get to know each other as humans. And that for me is a much more gentle, much more nourishing, much more sustainable way of growing my audience, of finding out what they need, of really digging into, oh, what are my thoughts about this? And giving me the space to be able to explore those ideas with community, with 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 having other, other people and it being relationship-based. Um, and so th- that's how my how my business operates. It is as low octane as possible, <laughs> and I really like it. I love that, uh, Joe. <laughs> what are you excited about right now? I'm excited about the number of folks who I see in communities like What Works. Um, like with the work that I'm doing, like I think of all the amazing people who are almost like reclaiming this creative makers, coaches, healers, 
online space and saying, no, I don't think we do want to do it that old way. I don't think we do want to just be driven and fueled by hype and hustle. I think we can use this technology in a better way, a more human way. Let's see how we can do that. I almost feel like we're at the beginning of a a really kind of quiet revolution around things. And that's super exciting. It's like all these little amazing dots of light all over the place. And I can see us on this kind of reaching critical mass. That really excites me. I love it. Joe Casey, thank you so much for shedding light on this important piece of the resilience conversation and really just, um, you know, doing business in, in a very human, very real way. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Find out more about Joe Casey at joecasey.com and find her podcast, The Meaningful Business Podcast, wherever you listen to What Works. Growing your business in 2020 is going to be an adventure. And just because you're ready for the trail doesn't mean you don't need an experienced team to support you. Our Venture Mastermind is gathering now. Venture focuses on the unique challenges of growth and scale stage business owners, things like hiring, managing your team, scaling your marketing, evolving your procedures, and developing deeper revenue streams. We also dig deep and address the mindset behind every challenge we encounter. If you're a growth or scale stage entrepreneur with big goals for 2020, I'd love for you to join us for two monthly small group mastermind sessions throughout 2020, one retreat to Palm Springs and Joshua Tree National Park, one retreat to Gatlinburg, Tennessee and Great Smoky Mountains National Park, and two one-on-one analysis calls with me to integrate what you're working on and plan for your next steps. To find out more and set up a free consultation with me about venture, go to explorewhatworks.com slash venture. That's explorewhatworks.com slash venture. What Works is produced by Yellow House Media. This episode was edited by Marty Seafelt. Our theme music is by The Shrugs. Find over 240 more candid conversations about what's really working to run and grow a small business today at explorewhatworks.com.